0: Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org.
1: Recently, we've been looking at the life of Abraham. Uh, where God has promised Abraham a piece of land and descendants through whom he's going to bring ultimately the Savior of the world. God has repeated this covenant over and over with Abraham, and yet we've seen both Abraham and his wife Sarah operate sometimes in faith, Sometimes not in faith, sometimes in doubt, and we've seen that in their lives. We saw last week where Abraham had to rescue Lot, his nephew, where Lot had gotten in a place where he flirted a little too closely with sin, and that had just awful implications in Lot's life and in the life of his family. Uh, It was horrific. So today we're going to be reading two whole chapters of Scripture, and everybody said... Amen. Can't read enough scripture in here. So Scotty and Lizette are going to read those chapters for us. I believe Lizette is going to go first. And Scotty's going to stop in chapter 21 just before our text today. So they're going to set the, the stage for us. So Parks, if you would uh, read for us the scriptures today.
2: From there, Abraham journeyed toward the ter- territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, "'What have you done to us, and how have I sinned against you, that you have brought on me in my kingdom a great sin? You have done done to me things that ought not to be done.' And Abimelech (sighs) said to Abraham, "'What did you see that you did this thing?' Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me at every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave and gave them to Abraham, and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife.
0: Chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laughter. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have... Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because she is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered into the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she, then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of, the God, of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is, up. Lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt.
1: Thank you, Parks. Parks (laughs) is? Yeah. Appreciate that. So uh, what we all just read was an account of Abraham and Sarah, yet again, operating outside of faith, right? We've seen this drama unfold between them, like God makes a promise, and they're like, man, I don't know, God, I don't know if you can do that, and they go back and forth and back and forth, yet God remained faithful, as we saw. God had, God had promised an offspring through which he would have a covenant uh, with his people. God gave them Isaac. Later, Isaac would father Jacob. Jacob will be renamed Israel, and Israel is the very people through whom the Messiah will come. God is faithful even when we're not. Amen goes right there, right? Aren't we all glad for that? For sure. Uh, there's a ton more that could we could kind of go into in this passage that we just read, but today I want to use that narrative, that historical account that we just read, as context for the latter part of chapter two that we're going to read now. We're going to pick up where the parks left off in reading. We're going to look at this a covenant now between This king Abimelech, who Abraham lied to and they had stuff going on between them, those two guys, Abraham and Abimelech, enter into a covenant together. Picking up in Genesis chapter 21, let's read. finish out the chapter beginning with verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me, Hear, by God, that you will not deal falsely with me, or with my descendants, or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing, and you did not tell me. I have not heard of it until today." So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you've set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs uh, you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant. At Beersheba, then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Now we've, uh, as we've been looking at the life of Abraham, we've seen some really crazy, epic events. Like we've seen Abraham speaking with the Lord face-to-face. We've seen God um, deal with Abraham like a friend. There's been some crazy things. So you might think, well, it's weird that this morning we're going to focus in on two regular dudes making a, a business contract together. Why, why? Why would we do that? Um, well, there, there are, are several reasons, but um, as Bible students, we know that the, the book of 2 Timothy... Chapter 3 verse 16 tells us that all scripture, not just some scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at this covenant made between two regular guys, and we're going to see that God works just as much in the things that seem insignificant as he does in the things that seem really big. God is active in both of those things. Uh, Specifically, we're going to look at how God works in the way that we choose to handle conflict with one another. Um, So just in time for Thanksgiving, (laughs) when we're around family and friends more than usual, we're going to look at dealing with drama today. Dealing with drama. You know, some conflict is unavoidable, is it not? It's just going to happen. That's human life but not all conflict is unavoidable and we can control how we respond to conflict can we not? Um, you know during my message prep I was reminded of what's become a famous now interaction of conflict between a U.S naval vessel and the Canadian authorities. This is like a real event. And I want to read you the transcript of this encounter that they had. This is an actual radio conversation, okay? So the Canadians say, Uh, They radio this U.S. naval vessel, and they say, please divert your course 15 degrees south to avoid a collision. The Americans responded, recommend you divert your course 15 degrees north to avoid a collision. The Canadians said, negative. You'll have to divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. The Americans said, this is the captain of the U.S. Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. The Canadian just said, no, I say again, <laughs> divert your course. The American says, this is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic fleet. We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers, and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. I say again, that's 15 degrees north, or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. The Canadians responded, this is a lighthouse, your call. (laughs) Right? Right? Clearly, this conflict was avoidable, was it not? But, due to maybe not having all the information, or a good measure of pride, um, conflict ensued. Right? So, two is uh, the case with most of the conflict in our lives. It can be avoided sometimes. But conflict shouldn't surprise us as Christians, should it? It should not. One article I read said this. And I, I can't remember if it's coming up on the screen or not, but I'll read it to you. Relational conflict is not something that should surprise us as Christians. We need not be ashamed that it exists and that we're involved. We should expect it. The world is complicated and fallen, and we are complicated creatures and fallen. Conflicts will come. They're unavoidable. And yes, conflict is inevitable in the church as well. Christians often have conflict with each other. True, genuine, faithful Christians. The question is not whether conflicts will come, but how we will handle them. In the healthiest churches, the leadership does not announce there will be no conflicts here. That's not how we do things. Rather, the message will be that when conflicts do arise, we won't run from them. We won't neglect to address them head on. We can't afford not to. It's from a guy named David Mathis. His article was, Conflict is an Opportunity for Grace. I think he's right on that. Um, You know, we can try hard to avoid conflict, but the Bible's very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so while I'm interacting with you and you're interacting with me, we are two sinners interacting with one another. And when you get a bunch of sinners in one place, it can get really crazy, right? Um, So in some ways, the potential for conflict is always present, but the Apostle Paul has taught us in Romans chapter 12, remember this passage, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Um, so conflict, all conflict isn't avoidable, but a, a real measure of our walk with the Lord, of our spiritual maturity, is how we deal with conflict, how we respond to conflict, so these this verse these or this passage today may not seem as big and huge and as important as other events in the life of Abraham, but um, I think God wants to teach us some things through this passage. Um, so let's let's tune in, and uh, I think it's going to be super practical today. We're going to learn how to deal with drama as disciples of Jesus and ambassadors of Jesus. Uh, to those around us. So as we look between this covenant between Abimelech and Abraham, I um, take a look. What's our first core descriptor? Biblically rooted. So I want us to see four today, if you're a note taker, four biblically rooted principles on responding with, to drama, on dealing with drama. There are more principles on how to deal with drama, but the passage today gives us these four. So we want to talk about those. The first Biblically rooted principle in dealing with drama is to protect against it. Protect against drama. We see that in the first few passages. After Abimelech uh, and Abraham's previous encounter in chapter 20, remember what went down. Abraham had already, we read uh, back earlier in the account of Abraham, Abraham was in a place he thought his life was in danger because of his wife Sarah. Apparently she was really attractive and he's afraid somebody's going to take his wife by killing him and taking his wife. So he's like, hey, when you go into the place, tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me. And we saw that wasn't the right thing to do. The Lord course corrected Abraham, and here's Abraham doing it again to this guy Abimelech. So Abraham had operated in a deceitful way to Abimelech. Um, He's told a half-truth so that people Abraham, check it, think about what he's doing. He's allowing another man to take his wife to protect himself, right? So it should be no surprise that Abimelech comes to him now at this time of covenant. Dude, uh, can you deal truthfully with me right now? Can we be real? Can, you, can we do this? Over this, uh, this time, Abimelech has learned two things about Abraham. One, he says in our text that God was with Abraham in everything that he does. He knew that God was kind of on Abraham's side, so let's let's review real quick uh, and and see that God was on Abraham's side. God had had made some some legit promises to Abraham, and at this point in the scripture, we can see that He's fulfilled quite a quite a bit of them. In chapter twelve back there, He told Abraham He's going to make Abraham's name great. Right? Remember that? That was part. I'm going to make your name great. Well, remember that Abraham defeated the alliance of four kings, and at the end, both the king of Salem and the king of Sodom greet Abraham, this lowly uh, nomad, as a, in a way that's a fellow king. They, they greet him as equals. Even Abimelech, the great king Abimelech, is treating this roaming nomad Abraham as an equal. He's entering into a covenant with him. Abraham's status has been elevated already by the Lord. The Lord told Abraham that he would then bless him. And we see that Abraham has been given flocks and herds and all kinds of things here. He's been given safety in Egypt. He's been given safety here before Abimelech when Abimelech could have killed the guy. Um, God told Abraham that he would bless those that bless Abraham and he will curse those who curse Abraham. Is this not why Abimelech's looking to make peace with Abraham. <laughs> he doesn't want to curse Abraham because he says, hey man, the Lord is with you in everything you do. I don't want to be your enemy. And then in chapter 18, we saw that the Lord told Abraham, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And we just read that indeed she did. Indeed she did. Isaac was born to them and it was the start of the nation. So, we saw that God has established this covenant, and the covenant is through Abraham. So the point is Abimelech's no fool. Abimelech looks at Abraham and said, man, everything this guy, though he's deceitful, he lacks faith. Apparently the Lord's with the guy, and in everything that he does, he's gonna. the Lord's going to bless Abraham. So uh, again, Abimelech's not an idiot. He rightly sees, man, okay, if I become Abraham's enemy, guess who else I'm an enemy of? God, let's not do that, right? So Abimelech's pretty wise. He goes to Abraham in a peaceful way. He doesn't want to be Abraham's enemy because he doesn't want to be God's enemy. Remember, he said, Abraham, why would you do this thing, man? Uh, The Lord came to me and and warned me, kept me from sinning against himself. Uh, So Abimelech's wise. So that's the first thing he learned about Abraham. Abraham, uh, God was with Abraham in everything he did. Second thing he learned about Abraham, as we briefly talked about, Abraham couldn't be trusted. Abraham would deal falsely with you in a hot second if he thought it would be to save his own skin. Abraham uh, couldn't be trusted. That's why he said, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants. Why would you have to ask somebody, please tell me the truth? Because they may not be telling you the truth other times, right? So he sees this about Abraham. Um, and Abraham, apparently this time wanting to avoid conflict, says, "Okay, I'll swear." So what's the point? Again, Romans twelve eighteen. If it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So let's 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 bring this down to our level. Let's put this on our stove and 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 do a little cooking here. What does it mean to? Um, Try to stave off drama. What does it mean to protect against drama? Listen, in dealing with friends, family, co-workers, fellow uh, church folks, whomever it is, sometimes you know full well going into a situation who it is you're going into that situation with. Do you not? You know full well that if you were to stop and think, okay, I know this person, I know me, I know this situation, and I know if I go into this situation in this way with this person, it's not going to end well. There's going to be some drama. You know what I'm talking about. If we stop and think about it, we know if we approach this person in this situation in this way, there's going to be some drama. But don't we also then do it anyway? Don't we do it? Don't we sometimes behave in such a way that we, apparently we like drama. Apparently we need the drama or we don't, I don't know, I don't know what it is. None of us, few of us would say out loud in the front of our minds that we enjoy drama, but apparently by the way we interact with people where we know there's going to be drama, if we do that, we do it anyway. Why? So I would just tell you the first principle to know is know the situation Know who it is that you're in the situation with and deal with them accordingly. Know that, man, if I approach this person with this personality with my personality or however, there's going to be some drama. Well, don't do that. Protect against it. Going ahead of time, you can hedge. And Where I'm from uh, in Oakley, we would say it this way. Listen, if you don't start, don't start none, there won't be none. You know what I mean? If you don't start any drama, there won't be any drama. And one way to protect against the drama is to don't go into the situation in a way that in the back of your mind, if you were to stop and think, you know, would create drama. Abimelech's doing that right here. He knows who Abraham is. So he sidles up close to him. Listen, man, I want peace with you. You want peace with me? The only way that can happen is if you tell me the truth. He tells Abraham, will you not deal falsely with me right now? He knows, unless he clears the way points that out, there's going to be drama. So he approaches it in the right way. So in our situations, we need to pause and think, okay, what is the wisest, most innocent way? Yes, we are called to be both wise and innocent, are we not? So pause and think, what's the wisest, most innocent way I can enter this conversation with this person and with my person? I'm me, and they are them, and I know them, and I know who I know myself. What can I do to enter this Situation. Why would we do that? Because like Abimelech, we fear the Lord. Abimelech d- did this because he fears the Lord. And if we honor God in the way that we treat people, um, it shows that we fear the Lord, especially in the way that we treat his people. People whom, because of Jesus, the Lord is with in everything they do. Right. Second uh, biblically rooted principle um, in dealing with drama is talk about the elephant. You guys know the phrase, the elephant in the room, right? There's this big old fact in the room that we're all trying to pretend is not really there, right? No one's going to talk about it, but here it is, taking up most of the, the relational space in the room. Uh, we saw that with Abimelech here. Um, there's a, a covenant in place, and then Abimelech approaches something with Abraham. Listen, will you tell me the truth? And then Abraham talks about the elephant in the room with Abimelech. Abraham went ahead and brought something up. Okay, if we're going to enter this covenant together, let's talk about it. What, some of your guys uh, stole a well that I dug. Can we talk about that, Abimelech? Let's talk about it. But, and Abimelech didn't know, right? He didn't know what was going on. He's like, hey, man, this is the first time I've heard of it, right? This is news to me. But Abimelech responds in a way that says, oh, I didn't know, man, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, can, can I make it right? right? Would have would have Abimelech known this stuff that Abraham in his, had in his heart against Abimelech if Abraham had never brought it up? Nope. But Abraham would have been walking around with this stuff in his heart. Man, Abimelech's people stole my well. You know, I bet Abimelech was behind that. I bet Abimelech told him that he's king. Nothing, nothing gets by the king. I bet the king told his people to do that to my well, and I got, I got beef with Abimelech. And Abimelech would have never known if Abraham had said, okay, I'm going to talk about the elephant in the room. Abimelech, some of your people took my well. Right? He's, he's willing uh, to talk about this stuff. Abraham realized that it needed to be addressed. Um, and so Abimelech, thankfully, responds in a good way. Hey, man, I didn't know. I, did, I didn't know. Thank you for telling me. Let, let's make it right. And so, you know, now certainly, let me just make a, a note here. There are times in our lives where there's, uh, there's a, some tension or angst that we should let go. Not all things are elephants in the room, right? Some things, I'll let that, I, I should let that slide, right? There's some things like that. A good rule of thumb to know whether you should let something slide or if it's an elephant in a room that needs to be addressed because it's getting in the way of the covenant is if there's a, a, uh, if there's bitterness or hard feelings by either party, either party, you need to talk about it. Either party, you need to talk about it. Um, it needs to be addressed. I'll read something from that article uh, by David Mathis again. He says, It is so much easier to talk about nice things and comment on the weather and the playoffs, then embrace the awkward moment and actually address the elephant in the room. We're quick to believe the lie that if we just avoid the conflict, or at least minimize it, then it will diminish over time and eventually go away. But wisdom speaks a different word. Sure, there are offenses we can forbear and personal frustrations we can get over, but interpersonal conflict doesn't go away with inattention. It festers, it deepens, it curdles. Man, have we seen that in our own lives? We have some things need to be addressed, but I don't know man, that's a lot of work to bring that up. That's gonna be hard. That's gonna be hard to weigh into. so you know what? it's better if I don't weigh into it and I'm just gonna I'm gonna kind of swallow it. And meanwhile, all inside you, that thing you swallowed is like yeast, man. Like it's like expanding and consuming your relationship with this person and they may not even know. They may not even know it's going on. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore lift up or lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather healed. Listen to this. Strive for peace with everyone And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Did you catch what the author of Hebrews is saying right there? We can miss the grace of God in our lives, we can become defiled ourselves by roots of bitterness. Resentment. These things only grow if they go unaddressed and undealt with. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we should actively seek to root out these roots of bitterness, both in ourselves and in each other. Jesus would tell us to to do it with ourselves first, right? Get the get the the log out of our eye, and then we can help our brother or sister get the plank out of out of theirs. But we, we don't do this in a self righteous way. Right, we do it as as one sinner approaching another sinner, not because we're righteous, but because Jesus is righteous, and we want ourselves and others to be in unbroken, loving, intimate fellowship with Jesus, the righteous. That's why we're willing to root out the roots of bitterness. And I, let me just say, I and James, I, I know that you will agree with me, man. Um, don't let don't let uh, us be Abimelech, and not know some something that. That you have against us, I maybe there. I have, I'll be straight straight up with you. I have sinful thoughts, deeds, and motives in my life. Do you guys know that, I do. And like James said earlier, I also, like other human beings, can have blind spots. And my blind spots are usually about my own weaknesses, not yours, and vice versa. Right? You're usually blind to yours and not mine. Other other people's uh, sins. Uh, glare out to us more. So maybe the Spirit of God would use your talking about the elephant in my room to grow me in righteousness. And it won't happen unless you do that. So do love me enough to come to me. Maybe the Lord wants to change my thoughts, deeds, or motives uh, through you. The next thing, the next biblically rooted principle In dealing with drama we see that beginning in verse 27 squash the beef squash the beef not where's the beef we know where the beef is okay it's between us sometimes we know where the beef is I'm I'm saying to squash it and this text is saying to squash it Abimelech and Abraham were both willing to resolve this thing they had both wronged each other in each other's eyes Abraham had wronged Abimelech. Abimelech's like, look, dude, will you, can you be truthful with me right now? Stop dealing falsely with me and my, and my people. And Abraham's like, yeah, well, your folks uh, stole my well. And so both of them are like, yep, you're right, yep, you're right. Okay, uh, let's squash the beef then. Let's, let's, let's put this to, to rest. Um, Abraham kind of uh, took it upon himself. He says, Abimelech, I'm gonna, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you... Uh, Sheep and oxen. I'm gonna set apart these ewe lambs from the sheep, and these animals are gonna be a symbol that you and I have no beef between each other anymore. We have squashed the beef, and Abraham's doing that as a reminder that hey, man, I dug this well. I'm not asking you to defend me. I'm asking you to be my witness. I know I've wronged you, but can I can I place this out here and you'll be my witness? These animals here, you'll witness for me that I dug this well. They're looking to squash the beef. And I think it's important that we see that both of them were willing to do that. Both of them brought things to each other. Hey, I got beef with you. You got beef with me. Let's deal with it. Let's deal with it and squash it uh, right here, right now. And I think um, if you're a note-taker man, write this down. Abraham and Abimelech were in conflict, were they not? But their conflict did not result in drama. Conflict does not have to result in drama. It does not. Um, Conflict is when two people, I should have put this on the screen, but I didn't. Conflict is when two people and or ideas are at odds with one another. Sometimes that's unavoidable, right? Drama is an overly emotional and contentious response to the conflict that is avoidable. Conflict may not be, drama is, right? Um, conflict can actually be a good and healthy thing if handled correctly. Conflict is good. Uh, it helps us grow in righteousness. Again, it, it, may, it helps us make sure our thoughts, deeds, and motives are good. When we, um, do you guys know that the Lord uses uh, us, one another, to, to grind on each other? You ever have your nerves ground on? Well, that person grinds on my nerves. Praise God. Praise God. God is using that person. You know what happens when you grind something? Takes off the rough edges, doesn't it? Takes off the rough edges. God is using interpersonal conflict, which happens when humans are around humans. Sinners are around sinners. God is using that conflict to polish you. To clean you, right? That's what the Lord is doing. That's his grace to us, people. That's his grace to us. So listen, if I rub you the wrong way, praise God for me and pray for me. (laughs) Right? I'm serious, man. Because I may be rubbing you the wrong way because I'm a sinner. And you may be getting rubbed against because you're a sinner. Both of those are likely true. In the middle of that is God's grace, using two sinners to help sanctify one another. So, squash the beef. Um, Drama results when we don't handle conflict rightly. We handle conflict in an ungodly way, you're going to get drama every time. We need less drama. We need less drama. And we can have less drama by God's grace. Um, He wants to use us to purify one another. So here, between Abraham and Abimelech, they put careful means in place to squash the drama and make sure that there was no future drama. Abraham's like, "I'm gonna give you these these uh, oxen and sheep here. I'm gonna set these ewe lambs apart. That's gonna be a symbol. There's no more drama between us, right? We're good. We're good. Okay, let's do that. We can move forward now. We can work together. The last um, biblically rooted principle for dealing with drama. We see that at the end is to seek peace with God. And one another. Be a seeker of peace. We know that this conflict ended well because the result was peace. Abimelech and the commander of his army, Phicol, left and went home uh, to live in the land of the Philistines in peace. They're satisfied. They're good. Abraham was satisfied and he remains in Beersheba. In fact, uh the, the passage told us he spent a long time in the land of the Philistines. He was at peace there. Um the next two actions that Abraham did, I think, are really significant. It says he planted a tree there, which uh, many commentators believe is a is a peaceful symbol, saying, Hey man, Abraham is he's he didn't like set up a, a rampart for war or a fence or a do not trespass, neighbor, I hate you sign, or anything like that. He planted a tree. He said, I'm at home here. This is a peaceful sign. He planted a tree. And when he planted the tree, it says he called on the name of the everlasting God, he calls on the name of the Lord, praise you, Lord. You have squashed the beef between me and Abimelech. There is no drama I'm living at peace, and when we are able to live at peace with one another, we praise the Lord. The Lord is glorified. We plant trees, we make reminders in His name. In other places, Abraham would stack stones, right This is kind of a similar similar principle. Um, Abraham, it seems, has, has come to the point where he realizes, you know what, I've, I've wavered all over the place. I've dealt falsely with people. I've uh, offered other men, my wife, to protect myself. I've, <laughs> uh, but yet I've seen God's faithfulness. I can settle now. I can settle. God has made peace with me by his grace, and by his grace, God has allowed me to have peace with others. Abraham is recognizing God's work in his life. Um, God is faithful, says Abraham. So let's just pause and let God work in our own souls, maybe through his word today. What what about you? What about me? Are we seeking to avoid unnecessary conflict? Some conflict is avoidable, right? Remember uh, the naval ship and and the um, lighthouse, Some conflict we don't have to go into. We just need to listen, get more facts, and then respond accordingly, right? And when conflict does arise, are we seeking to squash any drama, prevent drama before we go into it? Treat the conflict like God's polishing you. What is God? When there's conflict between you and another person, we should first pause and say, God, what are you wanting to do in me, in me, through this other person? Through this situation. I guarantee you if both parties do that, there will be no drama. There will be none. Um, If drama arises, if there is conflict, either one, are you willing to address it? If there's a to prevent roots of bitterness or hurt or maybe even confusion in our hearts, are we willing to weigh in to it as family together? Do you seek to resolve it peaceably? Do you seek to, what does it mean to have resolution to conflict? And do you acknowledge that when we have peace with God in our own hearts, and there's no root of bitterness. When we are seeking to honor the Lord in our conflicts with one another, that Jesus brings peace with me and peace with you, individually with him. And when that happens, man, there's peace with us, mutually. Um, Finally, because Jesus is the author of true peace, hopefully we can approach one another as equal sinners. We've we've said it in here before that the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. I can't approach you as a righteous man. I'm not a righteous man. You can't approach me as a righteous person. You're not a righteous person. We both serve the righteous one, Jesus the righteous. So let's approach one another in that way if both parties will submit to jesus there will be no drama Um, so how do we see god working through this seemingly insignificant passage of scripture two cats just trying to squash the beef trying to make a covenant together so they can operate in peace well it established a, a well for abraham big deal do you realize that now abraham has been given this piece of land that God promised. Abraham has been given a well in this land. This well would be used to feed his people or to nourish his people, to nourish his flocks. Abraham can flourish now in the promised land, the land that God gave him. Abraham's days of being a nomad are over. God has been true to his promise. God brought the promise that he gave to Abraham, which would eventually lead to the Messiah, Savior of the world, Jesus himself, through this little event where Abraham made a covenant with a guy named Abimelech, where they, had, they had beef with each other and they squashed it to the glory of God. God brought about the Messiah through this little bitty tiny event. So let's pay attention. God can use our interactions with one another. When we deal with conflict between one another in a holy, righteous way, Jesus is glorified. Jesus can indeed bring about great things. And the little details of all, you know God cares about details? Um, Ephesians chapter 2 tells us this. Paul's addressing a deep divide among the church. It was between Jewish believers and non-Jewish believers. There was major beef. So Paul steps in there and inserts the gospel to them. He says this, For he, Jesus himself, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Listen, because the gospel is true, we don't have to have drama between us. By the glory of God, by the grace of God, we won't. Amen? Pastor James is going to lead us in the Lord's Supper.